Concrete is actually the second most consumed material on this planet, only second to water. And the fact that it's a material that significantly contributes to the carbon footprint is a reason why we need to think differently around how we build. Kasa George, thank you so much for, for joining me here. We know each other. It's been it's been good observing where you've been going as well over the last few years since you've joined BuildX in particular. So maybe we can start. You can give us a quick introduction into yourself and what BuildX does as well. Thank you so much, uh, Adrian. Yeah, it's been a while since we've been in touch. A couple of, I think, five, maybe, <laughs> yes, I don't know, four years. So my name is Rakesa George. My background is in architecture. I studied architecture at the University of Nairobi, and I've been working with BuildX for the past five and a half years now. I've worked on different projects in the course of the five years, but now I'm working as a mass timber lead, so heading all the projects that involve the use of mass timber in the design and construction, and pioneering demonstration buildings that show the viability of the concept in the region. Just a little bit about BuildX, since we're talking about sort of the holistic picture. BuildX is a design and construction company that's based in Nairobi. We've previously worked across Africa with projects in Zambia. We have a school in Sierra Leone, projects in in Uganda as well. We've been around quite a lot, but I think now the intention is to focus a lot on East Africa. Our buildings are primarily focused on an environmentally conscious approach, but also a human-centered approach. So thinking through how best do you improve the health and well-being of building users? How best do you encompass environment mitigation measures, like climate mitigation measures, through the use of low-carbon materials? And how best do you include everyone in the construction process? And that's why we also work closely with our sister company, BuildHa, who train women in construction skills to have them work with us in our construction sites and ensure that sort of 50-50 balance with male-female on our construction sites. That's our focus at the moment. But with my role, the key aspect in all this is to look at the low-carbon aspects. And that's why Timber presents that opportunity for us to do that. Huge percentage of greenhouse gas emissions are caused by construction, right? How are you guys at BuildX then going about that? Besides also the social good that you're creating, how are you looking at decreasing the impact on the climate through construction? Yeah, so we started off in uh, 2019 looking at different solutions that can help decarbonize the construction industry. So as you mentioned, the construction industry accounts for a significant contribution to the global carbon emissions, which is 40%. And the materials that account for a big chunk of this are steel and concrete, which we use predominantly in building our cities here in Africa, and I would say most of the world as well. Concrete is actually the second most consumed material on this planet, only second to water. And the fact that it's a material that significantly contributes to the carbon footprint is a reason why we need to think differently around how we build. At the same time, the continent is really growing at a very fast pace. It's the most urbanizing continent in the globe, which means that more and more new buildings will be needed, more and more infrastructure will be needed. And if we keep building in the same way, then the effects will even be heightened. So we looked at different systems, how best can we reduce the carbon footprint 
of the construction industry and one of the research led us into timber and we realized that it's a new material in terms of its wide scale use yes they have been traditionally built small scale buildings that have stood the test of time but what we're talking about now is a solution that is as structurally applicable as concrete and steel so having an engineered timber solution that can help you to scale building solutions we realize yes it's something that is a solution that has been there for a while but this engineered product is what is relatively new in the market and to us to normalize the use of it we started off by doing a prototype which was a 60 square meter prototype that we had initially set out at a different part of Nairobi where we had visitors come in touch feel experience and that way we managed to get a lot of positive feedback on the potential because by doing that sort of experience or exposure visit a lot of misconceptions were demystified and at the end of it we now have a positive outlook of it and we're thinking even of doing much more taller buildings with this material to even show the applicability of the concept at a high rise level so that that's how we we think of changing the industry so we start with small demonstration projects that show the viability of the concept seeing is believing so as people come and see the viability of the material from time to time we we hope to increase their appetite for this kind of a solution and then transform the industry afterwards mm, so like you said this type of timber mass timber is kind of a new construction material a new methodology so just to clarify then what is mass timber compared to timber itself yeah so mass timber is a collective term that refers to a range of products which are made from solid wood pieces that are bonded together either in parallel or in cross section in alternating planes to form posts beams and columns that have really exceptional strength comparable to concrete and steel the most common type of mass timber is called cross laminated timber which is made by gluing the solid wood pieces in cross angles to form panels that can be used for different applications you can find a building that has has been made out of this product for for the walls the slabs and the roof you can use it for different applications in a building the other products also have different uses so as you design your building you become strategic in how you pick and choose from this array of mass timber elements that can apply to specific typology if it's a residential building if it's a commercial building what spans do you need what's the use of the space so yeah different applications require different mass timber elements is there any resources that people can go to to learn about the different types of mass timber elements there's a lot of resources online what i would recommend a website called woodworks even they have short videos on youtube where you can even just google what is mass timber and then they start off explaining to you the fact that it's a material that has been around for at least 3 decades now there's a lot of information that's already circulating initially in the 1990s it was limited to use in europe only but now we are seeing some emerging markets in like south america we have established manufacturing plants in in brazil uruguay here in africa we only have two manufacturing plants and they are set up in south africa and the reason why we are trying to build the demand for more buildings is to demonstrate that there is an appetite for this in the market if in the eventuality that we have local production set up in Kenya there is actually a market for that and 
investors are looking at seeing these kind of numbers. Would the market buy this product if I end up setting it up? Or they're also looking at, say, at things like, is there enough raw materials? Are there enough sustainably grown forests that can sustain my factory to be able to have a financially viable running factory? In terms of production and then in terms of use, what are the specialty skills or processes that are needed that means it's only currently made in South Africa? Oh, this is why we don't have local production yet. It's because it's a material that requires you to carefully grow your forest to a certain degree. So these are forests that are monitored to achieve a certain specification for timber that can be used for this kind of purposes. A lot of times we get people confusing this with natural existing forests, but this is a solution that's based on plantation forests. In Kenya, we haven't reached that threshold where we would say we have sustainably grown our plantation forests to harvest and sustain such a factory, but other countries in the region have. So Tanzania have already done that. They had forestry programs back in the 90s that allowed them to grow their forestry potential. Uganda has done the same. So we now understand the potential that exists in East Africa from a regional point and not as a country as Kenya. Kenya, on the other hand, has a thriving real estate market that would easily take up this, this product. So it would need like a very regional coordinated effort to have this in place. Since that is not sort of coordinated, we have first to demonstrate that it's still a viable product to really show that in the eventuality that we have local production set up, this is something that would work. There, there are no specific skills that really limit us to going to South Africa. It's more that they did the work about in growing their forests first, and that's normally the first step. You need the raw material, which we, we haven't reached there yet. And they've also had a bit of capital investments that have gone into the, the manufacturing process I can maybe just talk about how the whole process works, just to make it a bit clear. We have the forest that is grown in a very specific way, monitored, and sort of quality checks are done every now and then to have it at a certain height, and it's harvested at a specific time. And it has to grow to a certain radius, also to have it easy to handle with the machines in the factory setting. So once that is done, the timber is harvested, then it goes through a process, uh, like the primary processing is the sorting, there's the kiln drying, they dry to a certain moisture content level that is suitable for making mass timber products. And then there's what we call finger jointing, where you essentially join pieces of wood to have even longer pieces. And once you have that, then you can layer them out, apply glue on top, and then alternate the layers of lamination, or you can have them in parallel depending on the product that you want to, to produce. So for cross-laminated timber, you'd have to alternate the layers in 90 degrees. You also have to do it in odd numbers so that the direction you started with is the one that you end with. Then the third one will still be the direction of the one that started. And the same applies to five, the same applies to seven. So once it's made into a product, it can now be strength graded, also, depending on the design of the building, there are different treatments that are done in the factory to, to make it uh, suitable for the building site or the specific design. So it's cut into shapes that would go into the site in a sort of a kit of parts, like an IKEA set, which is, is easy to assemble. On, on site, you only need 
screws, basically. If you're doing a small project and you don't need like the big cranes, you just screw it together. It takes a really short period of time, up to 70% faster than traditional building methods. So you've got your panels of wood at right angles. Is there a particular reason they're odd? Is it a strength reason or an aesthetic reason that you've always got odd numbers? So when you think about the reason why it's called engineered timber is actually it's a very simple engineering process that happens from what we know as timber. So when you think about timber in one direction, the strands of wood, they only go in one direction. When forces are applied on the sides of the panel, there's a weak point at the center for it to sort of crumble. But when you have other members going in the other direction, it means that there's a counter force that now mitigates this. And having it alternate in terms of having it in odd numbers helps to ensure this sort of dimensional stability from a structural point that gives it even more stability than when you have it in even numbers. With even numbers, there's a way in which they can start sliding on top of each other in a way that won't be structurally sustainable. I guess you also know that if there's more going in one direction than it's in theory stronger that way as well. What kind of things you showed me before we started recording, you showed me the office space as a prototype that you guys have created. What's the potential here in terms of building and what sort of scale buildings are you expecting people to be creating? Because we've seen some people already creating skyscrapers out of wood. Is that something you can foresee? Yeah, so the thing is with growing forests along the tropics, the trees mature faster than in places where this technology has been around for for a very long time. So take an example of a pine wood species. Pine would take up to even 50 years to grow in North America or in Scandinavian climates. But it would take 15 years or 10 to 15 years along the tropics. So you can see that we have certain geographical advantages in thinking about this material and thinking big about it because we can be able to produce it even faster. Our existing prototype is an exhibition space. So at this point, it's a tool for raising awareness. We've not really designed it to optimize on the structure, but the structure that we've used to design it can hold or sustain a building up to six stories. So the same thicknesses that you would find in our prototype would allow you to build without changing the thickness up to six stories. And beyond this, we're thinking of having even high-rise buildings to show the application of the concept at that scale. And the reason why we're thinking of doing that is it's a mindset shift that we're trying to inspire, where timber has been known to not be structurally strong, susceptible to termites, and one big misconception is around its fire resistance where people think it just burns like a piece of paper. So what we're talking about here is the massive pieces of wood. And when you look at, a, say, a setting like a campfire, you always need like smaller pieces of wood to light up first before you can light the big one. It would take you a long time if you were just to take a matchstick and actually try to light this big chunk of wood. And that's the image you should have when you think about mass timber. So, but in the eventuality that it actually catches fire, it burns in a very predictable way, which is the outer layers char and suffocate the oxygen, so they're killing the fire and preventing it to penetrate into the inner layers. And at this point, there's a lot of research that has been done to estimate accurately what that charring depth could be, so that these products are designed with the inclusion of these 
charred layer, and you can remove the charred layer and add on another lamination once the fire is put out. So that this sort of predictability and the way it chars and burns can be very accurately estimated and accounted for in the design such that you won't need to worry about the fire performance of the building. We also want to blow people's minds somehow by having it at a bigger scale because people would only expect to see timber houses or buildings at maybe at a height of like three stories, but not like 18 stories. So it's a way to like really like radically change the mindsets completely. Great. You talked about these trees coming from plantations and also there being a lack of the right tree, right timber supply right now. We often hear that trees are important to curtailing climate change. So how does this link in with cutting trees and then trying to prevent climate change? So we are increasing the value of forests so that we make them stay forested. We are providing a building solution that will enable you to earn, say, 30 times more than you would with your normal utilization of wood, which is furniture, maybe a few trusses on buildings, by this high-value product. And the reason why I think there's normally confusion about the cutting down of trees and this solution potentially causing deforestation is because there's normally not that distinction of natural forests and plantation forests. So you would essentially grow your buildings the same way you grow your food. So you leave the natural forests intact and untouched, and then you grow new trees. But by doing that, as we know, trees, as they grow, they sequester carbon, which they store when they're used in durable products. And by using wood in buildings, you substitute or you offset the high carbon emissions that would have resulted from steel and concrete. So you see, there are different ways of looking at this where, yes, you've cut down the tree, but you've stored carbon in it. And carbon emissions are what contribute to climate change. And the construction industry is what contributes the most to climate change. So it's the industry that you need to focus a lot more our attention to actually bring down the carbon emissions, which would significantly reduce the carbon footprint of construction. Nice. Tell me more about this prototype that you've made in Nairobi and what it's there for and what it looks like, how it works, what's the purpose? We initially had it in a different location in Nairobi. It was a culmination of our research efforts that we started in 2019, where we realized since it's a new material in the market, we had to have a built prototype to actually show how it works. Then we were using it as a research piece, so to get feedback from the market, know how best to improve on it or how best we can introduce it into the market. But since then, and since we got a lot of positive outlook and also other sort of constructive criticism that helped us build our case even better, now we have a holistic picture of how it works. So we're just using it as an awareness raising tool. We relocated it from where we had it initially. Now it's set up at our offices. It's a building that I'm currently in. It's an extension of now our office space, but still we invite different groups to come and see how the material works. And we can even knock on it and see if it's really hollow at the back. And these kind of experiences are the ones that serve to change a lot of mindsets around the team. It's a tool that we hope would serve to transform the construction industry in Kenya at the moment. 
So we're also targeting the government stakeholders and even today we had a meeting with them and that's where we see the impact coming. If we get the government on board and given that they have their own pledges to the national determined contributions in terms of carbon emissions by 2030, this is a project that you would want to be a part of in introducing the carbon footprint of construction and having a country that's really having practices that encourage a net zero approach. Mm, and you've said it as well about people's reactions when they walk into the room. What are some of the feelings that you get from people, the reactions, and compared to the concrete building they're used to sitting in? Yeah, I think most people, the first reaction they have is more about the smell. So the smell of food is something that makes people really excited. They're like, wow, it smells really good. And then they start touching it and start knocking on it, as I said before. And they get sort of reassured about the structural stability. And then there's the whole, like, sort of, I would call it a microclimate inside. The fact that it has thermal properties, thermal insulation properties. When it's really hot outside, it's cool inside. And when it's really cold outside, inside it's like moderate temperatures that are still comfortable. So you just realize this difference as you come in. And then I think these are the immediate reactions that we get from people where they're just amazed about the difference they would get with a concrete or steel building. But that's not to say that we're only thinking about mass timber as the only solution for sort of mitigating the climate change. It still has to work hand in hand with concrete and steel. And the reason being is different materials have different strengths and weaknesses. For timber, its biggest weakness is water. So you don't want timber to be exposed or to touch water anywhere on the design. You need to have a plinth that's made out of concrete, which the timber can rest on. And that plinth serves as a sort of water proofing, weather protection, that allows the timber to survive on the upper plinth. There's always a need to emphasize that it's all about material or resource optimization. You don't just use timber for timber's sake and I don't know how to call it, greenwash the building somehow. You have to carefully understand with your team of consultants, your structural engineers, where is timber the most suitable material in this building? And it can end up that you have a hybrid building that's made up of different elements, but the fact that you use timber strategically still significantly lowers the overall carbon footprint of the building. Nice. Great. Have you got any other insights you'd like to share, any of the challenges that you guys have been going through besides being able to source the wood? What's it like to work with, right? With some experiences of what it's like to put up a building using a combined method, either hybrid of mass timber and something else, compared to just a concrete structure or brick structure? We've had some challenges before, and I think this is with any new material you try to introduce, there's always pushback that you have to spend a lot of time sort of raising awareness. I think the key challenge has been around the perception about timber. In Kenya, we have a logging ban, which doesn't allow you to harvest or harvest timber to a certain threshold for commercial purposes. And this has made timber to be kind of vilified, like this is the thing that you shouldn't do, you know? So everyone is like scared, like why are you doing that? It's the thing that we're told not to do. But at the same time, they put this logging ban in place because we were losing our forests at a very rapid pace. 
the little area that we can keep green, we should keep it as green as possible. And we were losing much of that. So the logging ban was to help with improving our forest potential, but there haven't been measures that have been put in place to ensure that the forestry cover thrives a lot. And this is why with us coming in with this sort of building product that incentivizes a lot of forestry growth, is something that's much needed to drive forestry growth in Kenya. So just talking about misconceptions, these misconceptions around the termites, the product is actually treated, it's called a pressure impregnation treatment system that allows it not to be affected by termites. And there are different ways you can also design the building to avoid having those crevices and nooks where termites can access the wood. So there are also other design measures you can take into account. The other one is around policy. The current Kenya building codes, they don't really expressly say don't use wood. They're just not very clear about the direction we should take. But there's a new draft of the national building code, the 2022 national building code that's pending to be gazetted by the parliament. This building code is good enough that it provides a legal framework for us to link it to other established European building codes that allow the use of timber for structural reasons and for high-rise buildings. These are the kind of changes we would want to see, and also changes like lifting the logging moratorium or the logging ban, but also changes in the building industry where we need a very encouraging building code that allows this building material to thrive. Great. What's coming next for this project? What should people look out for and where should they find it? Yes, so we're excited to launch our next building. I've been hinting at it a lot. We have designed a flagship commercial office building, which will be located in a prime location here in Nairobi. It's a building that has had a lot of input into it. We did like a future of work research to understand better how to provide office spaces that are more forward thinking. We're also using timber, which will significantly lower the carbon footprint of the building. And beyond that, we're also adding other measures that allow us to get the highest level of green certification in the market. So this building will be really exciting. It will have a lot of features that would be inviting for the public as well to come and and visit. We see it as one that would serve as a landmark that would inspire the change that we want to see. Sounds really exciting. Any expected dates for that? Um, so I think we'll have it in stages. So we'll have like a preliminary sort of launch, which I think would be towards the end of this year, around October. Just showing what we've been working on, the design, the concept, the technical information that backs it. Then beyond that, we'll be doing the other launch where it's like a groundbreaking. So that will be sometime either end of next year or beginning of 2025. Great. Well, thank you, Wakasa. Have you got any questions you'd like to ask or anything you'd like to put forward to the audience? I think it's just a reminder that with change always comes a lot of friction from, from different people. And this is something that we are trying to pioneer and we are facing a lot of challenges in that process. But I think the encouraging thing is most design professionals, be it furniture designers, architects, structural engineers, and the like, have really the knack to support it. So they are the people we are seeing as our ambassadors in this. And the more and more of you, or all of you, getting to understand the potential, the full potential of using mass timber in construction, the more you'll be able to sort of advocate for us, even on a wider scale. Also, just something to inspire you. I think when, when concrete and steel came into the market in African cities, there, there had already been a lot of 
developments we did in other parts of the world. So there were a lot of precedents of building technologies that have really biased the way we've uptaken concrete and steel in the use of our buildings. Because we tend to look at what examples are there in Europe or North America. But at the same time, Mastiva has only been in the market for about 30 years now. So we're at a point where we can reinvent how we form our own local precedents because it's a material that doesn't have a whole lot of exploration done out there. People in the U.S. are still grappling with it. I was there recently at an international mass timber conference, and I realized that it's actually we're facing the same challenges with like perceptions and people not wanting to use it. So it sort of levels the playing field and makes us start thinking from scratch. So we're not overly biased. And this question of like, do we have an architectural identity that's like African and all that, are things that can now start be, being addressed because this is a material that is at the very early stages. And so almost everyone is still grappling with it. So we can find our way through this sort of confusion and come up with our own identity. I think we should strive to do that because that's how I think we can reinforce certain cultural beliefs and certain identities that we feel might have been eroded with different influences that have come before this time. Yeah, I really like what you said there. There's often you see buildings in places that clearly weren't designed for that place. It was just a copy and paste job. And hopefully it will not just be on the on the biggest scale in terms of the way the buildings are shaped, but also the way that they're designed inside for particular cultural practices for particular things that people enjoy doing in particular places in the world, right? That, that's yeah. a really exciting prospect. Yeah, it's truly something that can revolutionize how we, we contextualize solutions. So we would have to think about the appropriate solutions for our context, and then this would form the precedence of whatever comes after that. And, and that will really be a very good way to approach this. Great. Well, this has been really informative. I hope people have learned something and I hope, really, really sincerely hope we get to see the more prototype buildings, more test runs and get to see this one that you were referring to as well soon. So keep us updated with it and we'll look yeah. forward. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. If you have any ideas for episodes we should do, people we should host on the show, please let us know. We're really, really interested in hearing your thoughts. And if you've made it this far, a review would mean so much to us as well on whichever platform you're listening to us on. Or even a recommendation to one of your friends or through a tweet. We hope to get these stories out there to more people. I'm Adrian Jankowiak. This episode was edited by David Kengori with music by Ngala and Mercy Barno. Thank you for tuning in to Africa Design.